0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Damascus Road. I'm Justin Burge. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm glad that you guys are here to be together for our second week of our series, Follow Me. Now, this is a series on vision. And what we're doing is we're looking at how Jesus goes about and makes disciples. And what I hope for us in this series is that we would be able to hear from Jesus. And that we'd be able to respond to him by giving him every area of our lives. And that we would follow him in everything that we do. Now, the vision for this series, and the vision that we believe that God has given Damascus Road, is actually quite simple. It kind of has two parts to it. The first part is that we would be disciples of Jesus wherever we are. The second part is that we would be equipped to go and make disciples also wherever we are. That we would be disciples who are able to go out and be equipped and have confidence to go and make other disciples. And we believe that when we live as disciples, when we hear from God and follow Him, when we hear and respond to Jesus, the kingdom of God can't help but break through. The kingdom of God... We'll end up breaking through into the normal, everyday aspects of our lives. And when the kingdom of God breaks through, the sick get healed. The oppressed are freed. Broken relationships are made whole. Marriages are healed. Broken friendships get mended. Anxiety and fear and angst in our lives get cast out, and the good news of Jesus is proclaimed to everyone that knows us, to everyone that we are around. And so like Shannon said, this vision is not a program. Discipleship is not a program. And for far too long, the church has tried to make discipleship a program where you just come to a pl- class. So we're going to teach you some things and then you're going to become a disciple. The problem is, is that over time, what's happened is that we have delegated discipleship to a few people. Generally, the pastors or the elders of the church have been seen as the discipleship makers of a community, and everyone else gets to maybe be a disciple. It's kind of like changing a tire. There was once this time in our history, in this country, where everyone knew how to change a flat tire. But not so today. Today, what do we do? Today, we call AAA. We've outsourced roadside maintenance. I kid you not, the other day I was driving down the road and I was at a stoplight and I saw someone and they had a flat tire and I get their attention and they look at me and I'm like, hey you've got a flat tire and they're like, I've got a flat tire? And I was like, yeah, they're like, I wondered what that sound was I was like, yeah, I was like, do you want some help? and they're like, no, it's alright I'll just call AAA. I was like, alright, and I went on my way and they pulled over they called AAA, they probably got it fixed, it was great But the thing is, is that every vehicle has the tools equipped inside of it to change a flat tire. You just have to know how to use them, and the only way that you're going to know how to use them and know where they are is if somebody takes the time to teach you, if somebody takes the time to show you where the tools are, if somebody takes the time to get dirty in your driveway or on the side of the road and show you this is our tire iron. It helps loosen the lug nuts. And you have to show up too. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to ask questions, questions that might even seem really dumb. You have to be willing to be vulnerable to ask like, what's a lug nut? And the person that's teaching you, they have to be humble enough to receive kind of dumb questions or questions that we perceive to be dumb and be able to answer, well, that lug nut, that's the thing that holds the tire on the car. And without the lug nut being tightened properly, you'll be in great danger. See, sometimes the dumbest questions are some of the most important questions because they're the things that can save your life. And so we have to show up. We have to be able to ask questions and we've got to be able to show people and put the tools in their hands. The person that's teaching you how to change a tire, it does you no good if they just do the whole thing and you watch. What they have to do is they've got to Put it in your hands. you got to feel what it is to loosen a bolt. you got to feel what it is to put the jack in the right spot and to crank it up. And so after you know what it is to change a tire, you can go out feeling equipped. And so you go out, and it's one thing to have to change your own tire on the side of the road. It's another thing to be able to feel confident enough to go up to another person that's stranded on the side of the road and help them out. But it's even another thing to be able to teach someone how to change their own tire and to put the tools in their hands. And when you do that, that's multiplication. That's discipleship. That's what it is to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so the purpose of this series is that we would be able to take some tools and put them into your hands so that you would know what it is to be a disciple and what it is to be able to go and make disciples. And the cool thing is that you, just like the car, are already equipped with all the tools. In Ephesians, Paul says, we have been given every blessing that is in heaven. We have been equipped in Christ Jesus. We have the tools. And so the question is, is where do we get the tools? What do the tools look like? And we see these tools in action in the life of Jesus. And so the purpose of this series is to look at the life of Jesus and see how does Jesus go and make disciples? And how can we go and be disciples and make disciples like him? And so what we want to do is just identify a couple common discipleship tools, bring some common language to that so that we can begin to use these tools together in community, And walk this out together. And that when we walk these things out, the kingdom of God can begin to break through. It can break through in your homes. It can break through in your families, in your communities, in your workplace, and in the city. And that is what we want. That is the heart of our vision here at Damascus Road. So last week, we began looking at one of these tools. And we had called it the learning circle. And the learning circle comes from the book of Mark. It becomes from Jesus when Jesus begins his ministry. And in Mark it says this, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so last week Shannon drew this circle with this line down the middle. On one side we have repent, on the other side we have believe, and we have this line going across that represents time. And In this time there is this kairos moment, this moment in time where God is getting our attention. So that he can change us, so he can change the trajectory of our lives, so that we can enter into this place of repenting and believing. And so we go across life, bam, God gets our attention, and we begin to observe, what is God getting our attention with? We begin to reflect, why is God getting our attention in this way? We begin to discuss, we get in community with people, and we get to Tease out the truth of what God might be saying to us because sometimes we believe lies. Sometimes the enemy interjects himself and he gives us lies, and so it's in community with believers that we can tease this out and figure out what is actually true. What is God actually saying? And then from there, we go on the upstroke of the circle. And the upstroke's is much more difficult than the downstroke. A lot of times, we just get stuck in this kind of cycle of repentance where we like, God gets our attention and we observe and we identify the problem, but we don't do anything about it, or we don't know how to do anything about it. But when we get to this disgust phase, and we're in community, we can move over to the plan phase, and we can create a plan. And this is how we begin to respond to God from what we've heard from Him. So we create a plan. We create accountability inside that community. And then we act, and we go work that out. And when we do that, the kingdom of God breaks through, and the trajectory of your life is changed. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to pick up right where Shannon left off in Scripture and look at how Jesus calls his disciples to himself and what it looks like for Jesus to disciple his disciples. But before we do that, there's something that we have to understand about what it means to be a disciple in this culture and who Jesus is. Now first, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. A Jewish rabbi is a teacher of the law at the time and Jewish rabbis would walk around going from city to city and their disciples would follow them and as the disciples followed them he would be teaching his disciples insights about the law now the way someone became a disciple was with a lot of work because back in that time you would start education at a very young age and you'd begin memorizing the law. You'd begin memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. And by age seven or eight, you would have the entire law memorized. For those of you who did a wanna and thought you were doing good by age eight and you got your little patch, the entire first five books of the Bible Memorized. And then at age 7 or 8, they'd have a choice, and they could either leave education, and they could go serve and serve their mom and dad and whatever their family trade is, or they could continue in school and continue to learn the rest of the Old Testament. And so those, so those who continued in school continued till about the age of 13 or 14, and at that point, they would have the entire Old Testament memorized. And at the end of that time, they would have a choice. They could either then go find a rabbi and try to become that rabbi's disciple, or they could join the family trade. Now, the way that a student would go to a rabbi is that they would have to be one of the best of the best. Like, they'd have to be the top of the class to begin thinking that they could go join a rabbi's group of disciples. And what they would do is they'd search out a rabbi, and they'd ask that rabbi if they could join that rabbi's yoke. And that rabbi, they would begin to interview the student. They'd ask questions of Torah, questions of the Old Testament, questions of interpretation. And as they're grilling the student, the one question that the rabbi is really asking, the question that he really wants to know, is can this kid become like me? Can this kid do what I do. And so he grills the student. If the student isn't doing very well, the the rabbi might come back to the student and say, look, you need to either go back and study some more, or maybe it's just best for you to go join the family trade. But if the student was getting it, and the rabbi could sense, like, this kid gets it, this kid has it, began to think this kid can do what I do. This kid might be able to do more than what I do. Then he would turn to that student and he would give them the invitation, come, follow me. And that student would be admitted into that rabbi's yoke as a disciple. Now it's important to know how they did discipleship in these days to appreciate how Jesus does discipleship because it's nothing like it. Let's take a look. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, picking up right where Shannon left off last week with, The kingdom of God is near. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and his brother Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the fishing boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. Now there's something that I want you to notice about who these guys are and what they're doing. These guys are fishermen. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi and he's walking down the beach and he sees some fishermen. These guys are not the best of the best. These guys are not disciples of someone else. These guys are with their dad and they're doing the work that their dad has taught them and trained them to do. These dudes are the dropouts. And Jesus is walking down the beach and he sees these guys and he gives them the invitation to come follow me. Jesus is looking at these guys and he's thinking these guys can do what I do. Jesus later in his ministry with his disciples he tells them he says I tell you the truth whoever believes in me will do what I do. And they will even do greater works than me because I am going to the Father. That is rabbi discipleship language that Jesus is using with his disciples. And so Jesus begins his discipleship training process by making incredibly high level of invitation. He says, come, follow me. And they drop their nets and they leave him. And this follow me means be with me. Be with me where I am. Be with me where I am going. Stay with me where I am staying. Follow me wherever I go. And these guys go, and they receive that invitation. Jesus' high invitation sometimes sounds like this. Sounds like, Sometimes, come, follow me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the thing is, is that Jesus isn't all invitation. Because invitation alone isn't capable of creating a disciple. It's not capable of creating transformation. And so Jesus comes alongside his high invitation and he with high challenge. And so what we can do is we can kind of draw a chart. We can make an X-axis and a Y-axis, kind of like a plus chart where it looks kind of like math class. And on the Y-axis, you have high invitation. And Jesus lives up there. Come, follow me. Come, all you who are weary and broken. But he also lives on the far right of that with an incredibly high challenge. Let's just look at the way that Jesus talks to his disciples sometimes. Jesus starts saying really hard things around his disciples. Like that he's going to have to die at the hands of the chief priests. And his disciples don't like that, especially Peter. And Peter turns to Jesus and he says, It will not be so with you, Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, Get behind me, Satan. For your mind is on earthly things, not on the things of heaven. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, gets called Satan. And Peter's not even the guy that kills him. If anyone should be called Satan, it's Judas. But in that same breath, Jesus then turns to the rest of the disciples, and he tells them, if anyone wants to follow me, they must pick up their cross and come after me. That is incredibly high challenge, but it's met with incredibly high invitation of be with me, be where I am. The disciples also, as they follow Jesus, they argue all the time about who the greatest is, because they just don't get it. They think that they're creating an earthly kingdom. They think that Jesus is going to come rule, and they're just concerned about who's going to be the highest outside of Jesus, who's going to be, like, number two in the kingdom. And Jesus hears them, and he turns to them, and he says, this will not be so with you guys. The Gentiles rule this way. They rule over their people. He's like, if you want to lead, you need to serve. If you want to be first, you need to be last. And this is an incredibly high challenge to our flesh who just wants to be first. Just go to an airport. Everyone's in a hurry to go nowhere because they just want to be the first person on the flight. Jesus says, this will not be so with you. And so we have this two by two chart. And Jesus operates in this upper right hand corner that is invitation and challenge now if we move to the left some in this upper left hand corner where it is super high invitation but low challenge what we find ourselves is just comfort we call this quadrant comfy and some of us live in this quadrant this quadrant of comfortable and cozy. And we love, we love the high invitation of Jesus. We love the come to me verse who are labor and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and I'm gentle and lowly in heart. But what we miss is where he says, learn from me, learn from me. Any type of learning feels like challenge. And we kind of balk at challenge a little bit. Some of us, this is the way that we handle relationships. We're really high invitation people, but we don't love to enter in or step into places of challenge. We just want to kind of keep everything calm and even and make everyone feel welcome and safe. And that's a high, high invitation place. Now, if we go to the bottom right, where there is high challenge and low invitation, what we find out is stress. It is an incredibly stressful place to live. And some of you guys live there. Some of you guys live in a place of really high challenge. Some of you guys love the commandments. And you love the Bible. And you love the black and white commands of Jesus. And you just live in this place of do, do, do. And you're checking the boxes along the way. And you're stressed out. But you're like, I have got to prove my place in Jesus's heart. I've got to prove that I'm worthy to be his disciple. And you live an incredibly stressed life. The thing is, is that both the cozy people and the stressed people understand one dimension of the gospel. But in understanding only one dimension of the gospel, they miss the whole thing. The cozy people are up here and they're like, Jesus invited us to, Jesus just said, come into my presence, just rest, just be, he's done it all, we don't need to do anything, just receive from him. And then we got the people in the high stress, and they're just like, do, 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 you gotta prove it, you gotta work. Yes, Jesus saved you, but you've got to like live as if he didn't, and you've gotta like just follow everything, and both sides miss it. Where we find the real gospel present is with Jesus in this place of invitation and challenge. It's in this place where he tells his disciples, come. Be with me. Come be where I am. But then it's also this, like, allow your heart to be transformed where I am. I'm going to give you some commandments. And they are going to be some tools that if you follow them, it's going to begin to create transformation into your life. And it's going to be able to transform the lives that are around you. And it's in this place of invitation and challenges where the kingdom of God really breaks through and gets really efficient in where healing happens. And so we all lean one way or the other. The question is, which way do you lean? And which way do you lean in your relationship with Jesus? Do you lean towards this cozy place? Or do you lean towards this kind of stressed place of do, do, do? What about other areas of your life? How do you parent? Do you parent with high invitation Or do you parent with high challenge? How do you handle conflict with your spouse? Do you handle it with high invitation and you just kind of brush things under the rug and you just kind of hope that everything will work themselves out? Or do you respond with super high challenge and you both are just fried because you're both holding each other to a standard that just can't be met? What about relationships at work, the people that you lead, Do you lead them with high invitation or high challenge? Which way do you lean in? The thing is is that where we want to begin to operate is in this place of invitation and challenge. We want to begin to live the life of the disciple maker like Jesus. Now the thing is, is that you can live this life of invitation and challenge perfectly and still not get the results that you want. For example, there's this story in the Bible where this rich man seeks out Jesus and he asks him what what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. And he begins listing off all of the commandments that he's fulfilled. He's this high stress kind of person, but he's also high comfort kind of person in another way because he's got all this money and Jesus is like, good for you, man. For fulfilling all of the law. He's like, there's one more thing that I want you to do. He's like, I want you to give up all of your money and come follow me. Jesus challenges that cozy side of him to come follow me. And he meets that super high challenge to give up everything with a super high invitation of come be with me. Jesus is looking at this rich young man and he's the rabbi and he gives him the rabbi call to come be his disciple. Jesus is looking at this guy and he's saying, I believe you can do what I do. I believe that you could become like me. You just need to give this up. And it's too much for him. And he walks away. And he walks away. Now, the path to discipleship isn't as intuitive as what we want it to be. For those of us who are really cozy, And we just think that we can move over this place of responding to higher challenge. It's going to be difficult because what happens is that when we begin to add challenge to a place where we live cozy, comfortable lives, guess what it's going to start to feel like? It's going to start to feel stressful. So you're actually going to drop from the top left corner to the bottom right corner and you're going to be stressed for a moment. And then hopefully as you get your invitation and challenge and balance, you'll find yourself in that sweet spot of discipleship. Now, those of you that are down here in the stressed area, it's going to be very difficult for you to actually stop and lay off and chill out and rest in God's presence. Take some time to pray. Take some time to worship. It's going to feel incredibly counterintuitive because you're a a do-do-doer, but the reality is there is nothing you can do. You can't work yourself directly upward towards discipleship into invitation and challenge. There's no amount of work that you can do to move yourself into the place of discipleship. You've got to pause, and you've got to respond to the invitation that Jesus has given you. And it's going to be tough because you don't trust those guys. You don't trust those cozy guys, but that's the place that you have to go before you're going to move over to get your invitation and challenge balanced out. Now, the question is, is why? Why is Jesus operating out of this place of invitation? What is he getting at with all of this follow me stuff, all of this invitation, all of this challenge stuff? What is he really getting at? And I believe the thing that Jesus wants his disciples to know is who they are. Is who they are because of him. And what we find is that in their true identity, there is another two-by-two grid. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. It says, He appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, so that he might send them out to preach. So that they might be with him. That's code for saying, Jesus wanted them to be with him so that he could love them, so that he could just love on them. So Jesus operates out of high love, just like he operates out of high invitation. In John 15, 13, he says this to his disciples. He says, there is no greater love than this, than to lay one's life down for a friend. Jesus' entire being is about laying down his life for his disciples. We are dearly, dearly loved. And so we are loved, but we're not just loved. It also says so that they might be with him and so that he might send them out. And so he sees Jesus sending his disciples all the time throughout scripture. Throughout all of scripture, we see him sending them out to pray, to heal, to drive out demons, to minister to people, to baptize. And so the reality is that you and I, we are loved and we are sent We are loved and sent. This is a state of being that we find ourselves in. It's a part of the very nature of who we are as a disciple. Jesus says this in John. He says, I'm giving you a new command, that you will love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying, you are loved And you are loved to go send that love, share that love wherever you are, to share that with other people. In Ephesians, Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us. We are loved and sent. The temptation is to take loved and sent and to separate it. And to move loved into one quadrant and sent into the bottom left quadrant where loved is where we're just cozy. And we just want to receive the love of God. And then we've got people who just see themselves as sent. But these guys, they miss the gospel because they are sent and they don't bring the love of God with them. These guys miss the gospel that are loved because they just sit with the love of God and they don't take it anywhere. They don't share it with anyone. Or they sit in the love of God and then they go out and they're some of the most callous, judgmental, mean people. Both sides are part of the Gospels. But Jesus didn't just invite his disciples to come be with him and receive love. But he also didn't just bring his disciples in to just only send them out, to just say, hey, you're on my team now, now go out and do this on your own. He's invited us to this special place, this place that exists where we are loved for all time. But we are also sent for all time. And so to be on mission... Is to be present wherever you are. Because wherever you are in whatever moment that you're in, that's where you're sent. Because our identity is that we are loved and that we are sent. You are loved right where you are, wherever you are in your journey. You are loved right there. And guess what? Jesus is sending you wherever you are to Jesus is saying, you are loved and you are sent by me. That is what he's getting at with his disciples. That's what he wants his disciples to do. And that's the identity that we see his disciples living in as they go and grow the church. This last week, I was meeting with a guy and he was discerning where God was calling him to serve. He wasn't quite sure. He's like, I know that God has called me to serve in some way, in some capacity, in his church, he's like, but I just don't feel like I have enough. I don't feel like I have enough education. I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I'm equipped enough. And that one thing keeps a lot of people back from serving. They're just like, I don't know enough. I'm not professional enough as a Christian to do this yet. And so maybe what I need to do is go learn some more. Well, this guy didn't know that he was drawing himself a two-by-two chart. He was saying... I need to learn more. And he's putting that in the upper left and then he's putting, I need to serve. And he's putting that in the bottom right and learning more looked really cozy and serving looked really stressful. And as I was talking to him, I was like, what if the answer is that you start serving and you learn along the way? God has equipped you. He's called you as disciples. You know, some things, you know, some things share those things, start by sharing those things as you serve. And as you serve, there will be opportunities for you to learn. And so what if you saw yourself as someone who's called to go learn and serve at the same time? Because the reality, friends, is that you are equipped right where you are. Jesus has equipped you where you are to go and be his disciples. And that's what we're getting at in this series, is that we want to be a church of disciples who understand what it is to be loved and to be sent and to grow and to live in that place and to invite people into the place of living in that place also with us. You guys are loved and sent, my friends. Would you guys pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ways that you love us. We thank you for the ways that you sent your son. We thank you for the ways that you're present to us in our fears and our anxieties and the troubles of this life. We thank you for the ways that you cast those out, and we lean on you, and we trust in you and your ways and your purposes. God, we thank you for the ways that you've sent us. I thank you for the communities that you've put us in. I thank you for the workplaces that you've sent us to. God, I thank you for the neighborhoods that you've put us in. God. And God, I pray that we would begin to see ourselves as people who are loved and sent by you, as people who are equipped to go and make disciples, as people who are called to be your disciples, that you look at us and you see us and you say, I believe that you can do what I do. You actually say that you believe that we'll do even more than you. God, train us to use the tools of discipleship to be a disciple wherever we are. And God, may you allow us to serve your kingdom wherever we are. And God, we pray that your kingdom would come breaking through, that it would come breaking through in our hearts, that it would come breaking through in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in this city. God, we thank you that we are loved, that we are sent by you. In your great name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Alright, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a backstory um, that I feel like I need to share. Some of you have heard a good amount of this already, so for those of you who have, I apologize. But I definitely need, for those who haven't, to give you guys the whole story so you can understand what the Lord spoke to me this last year and how you know being in this group to help process... Um, Definitely was a huge benefit um, in terms of what we're moving forward with here at the church. So, um, about a year, a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity, our family did, to live on an orphan. And from the beginning, Crystal wasn't super excited about it. And what we were, had the opportunity to do was to bring her into our home for a month and host her and advocate for her adoption. and. There was a meeting to learn more about it. I basically had to drag Crystal to the meeting, but that quickly changed. So she went from not really knowing how we're going to do this with our kids and our work, to a couple weeks after this meeting, being able to, you know, hear from the Lord about you know specifics about this child, you know, her age, gender, and really started feeling like the Lord was leading a, um, leading us into this. So, of course, a couple months later, she's coming, we decided to to host her, and from the beginning, and actually even before she came, Crystal was like, basically calling her our daughter, so she was on board with that from the beginning, and once she came and stayed with us for a month, we all fell in love with her, and... Crystal really felt like we were supposed to pursue this girl for adoption and I was like whoa that's not exactly what I initially signed up for however I knew it was a possibility and those types of big life transitions and things that um, I guess adoption in general is a big deal so I was trying to not let fear and overwhelm dictate what I needed to hear from the Lord on what we're supposed to do with this. So I took some time after she went back to her country in Latvia. and which I, we didn't have a lot of time because she was, at this time, she was 15 years old and going to be turning 16 in about 10 months. And they all need to be adopted. Before they're 16, in order for it to, you know, for us to go through the system correctly. So I fought some overwhelm, felt some, fought some fear, and I heard from the Lord that we're supposed to pursue this girl for adoption. So we tell the hosting agency that we want to pursue her. They go talk to her, and from the beginning, she basically says, "I'm overwhelmed." Um, I, I feel pressured. I don't really want to be adopted. And at least that's how we heard it. I think she was, and, and we talked with her too, um, but I think she was pretty set from the beginning, even though we weren't really convinced. So we had a choice at that point. Do we keep moving forward? Because a lot of these kids changed their minds last minute. Do we keep moving forward, or do we say, "Hey, we we give it our best shot"? She's saying she doesn't. Let's move on. We felt like the Lord was asking us to keep moving forward. So, because we had to, we had to, you know, start with the paperwork because of her age. There's a lot of things we had to do to keep this as an opportunity um, on the table for her. So, so we did that. We started our our home study. We looked at adoption agencies. We started filling out paperwork and our passports, all that stuff that we need to do. And in the middle of all that, as we're giving of ourselves and, and and continuing to, to do things, knowing that she may not change her mind. She may continue to say no. Um, something hit us, I should say hit me pretty hard. And it was this, in a small way, like on a teeny tiny scale, this is what Jesus went through when he was leading up to the cross, and specifically the garden. So I want to read that scripture for you. Luke 22:41 through 44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So i got to read this next part because I don't want to miss anything because this is what the Lord really revealed to me through this process. Jesus asked for the cup to pass from him. He saw the work, the pain, the struggle that was ahead of him to the point of sweating blood and asked the father, can we do this another way? But he said, not my will, but yours be done, father. He knew he had to keep moving toward what the father asked him to do, knowing that it was going to, one, cost him everything, and two, that many people could choose to reject the gift that he was dying to give them Do you guys feel the weight of that? So what did God reveal to me as we were pursuing this girl? Knowing she could keep saying no, um, he revealed a greater understanding of the gospel, a greater understanding of the love and sacrifice Jesus gave, despite knowing people could reject him. He's basically saying, here's this free gift I gave everything for. And I know you can say no. No but I'm still going to do this for you. So we're giving an outpouring through this time of our lives, knowing that this girl could keep on saying no. At times, the risk seemed to outweigh the possibility of her changing her mind. We could have stopped, but what if she changed her mind and we weren't ready? We couldn't let that happen. So after this revelation of like what the Lord was saying... And showing me, like I say, what we're walking through in a very small way is, is what Jesus walked through on his way to the cross. Um, we ended up hosting her two more times and she continued to say no all the way to the end. And so I'm sure we were asking, you know, what did, you know, why did God ask us to do this? We're not exactly sure the full extent of that, however... These two things for sure came out of it, as I had already mentioned. A greater understanding of Jesus' sacrifice and willingness to die and do what the Father asked him, despite people possibly rejecting this gift that he has died for everyone. And two, a girl that knows there was a family that did everything they could to provide her a home. Because part of what we were going up against was a previous family actually said they were going to adopt her and then backed out. So we wanted her to know that she was worth pursuing and worth wanting to be in our family. So another cool thing that came out of this as we were processing with our small group was um, right in the middle of all this, I felt like the Lord was asking me to write some music. And I really appreciated having brothers and sisters around to regularly process what we were going through as we were pursuing this girl, and then even being able to voice what I felt like the Lord was saying to me about writing music. So I voiced it to the group, and as soon as I did, um, some words and themes started coming out of, of the process, and that by the end of last year, I had a rough tune together, basically about Jesus in the garden. And choosing to to carry the weight of the world um, on his shoulders as he was walking to the cross. So I actually get to share that with you guys next week. Um, and if you don't like it, you can blame Shannon because he asked me to. So, but I hope you guys like it, and I really hope um, I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you guys. So, thanks for letting me share this morning.